welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Oddly enough, there's a lot of sick people right now. Um, the flu's going around. And the story that we're going to talk about is healing. And so um, Luke chapter 5, verse 17, uh, the last part of the verse, it says this about Jesus. It says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Remember, Luke's gospel is unique in the way it's telling the stories of Jesus. And Luke spends most of his gospel writing about three and a half years of Jesus's life and ministry. Jesus was alive for 33 or so years and he ministered for only three of those years. And at the end of his ministry, he had maybe 120 followers. And so Luke is recording a perspective of Jesus um, for us to understand who he really was. And we miss a lot of it because we don't read it in context of this is a real life human being. There's a lot of images that we're confronted with in our own mind and heart from culture and media. But Luke wants you to know that in this particular moment, which we'll get to near the end of, or in a little bit, that there was a moment where he was ministering and he, he makes note that the power of the Lord was with him to heal the sick, which makes me wonder, are there moments when the power of the Lord was not with him to heal the sick? And the answer to that is yes. We just talked about it last week. Last week in his hometown, Jesus doesn't heal the sick. But there are occasions where he does, which is, for me, good news. So sometimes he heals the sick and sometimes he doesn't. That's according to the scripture. But that phrase ripped, just convicted me. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal depression. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the marriage. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to whatever that is. And I think today in the church, we have substituted the power and presence of the Lord for programs. We substituted the power and presence of God for um, proficiency. We get good at something and we do a conference to let everyone else know how good we're doing it. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Today, we've substituted the power and presence of God for programs, proficiency, for progress. If we can grow it, it's successful. And here's three steps to grow a bigger church. And we've, we've replaced power and presence with the Lord, the power and presence with the Lord with popularity. If our church is influential, we can, we can be okay with not making disciples of all nations. And so I've been wrestling with this idea of what does it mean to be a church that looks like Jesus, that does ministry like Jesus. And I read stories in the New Testament and I can't get away from the power of his message, but also his life. Um, and so the title of the this, this sermon today is really my prayer for our church. And it's this, it's God, make healing ordinary again. You see, the ministry of Jesus was profoundly marked by the ministry of healing, which we'll talk about. But this summer, I spent my whole summer reading the Gospels and making observations about the life of Jesus. What did he physically do on earth while he was 
uh, alive and what did the, um, the gospel writers record about his life. It's kind of like when I was younger and I still have this fascination today, I used to wonder what were the schedules and habits like of famous leaders and poets and writers. Has, have any of you studied those things? Like, in, in, nobody, just of like seven. All the successful people in the room are raising their hands. Just kidding, just kidding. It said like they would wake up early, you know, they would, uh, they would focus on their goals, they would spend time lots, I'm um, reading, there's all these things and habits and attributes of these famous leaders and writers and poets and scientists and um, inventors. And I was fascinated by Jesus because it, it talks a lot about him having uh, success in crowds and then immediately he goes into solitude and prays. There's like this ebb and flow to his life. Also, just so you know, in case you're wondering, the gospel writers let you know that he walks everywhere. Just a simple observation. And occasionally takes a boat ride. He spends a lot of time eating. But the three primary things he does, number one, the number one thing Jesus does in his life is spend time with his community or AKA disciples. Oh, you can't get away from the fact that his life was lived in intentional discipleship community. Okay, so everywhere he went, he was with his disciples. So every experience he had was founded in community, which challenges our introvert, or it not necessarily introvert, it challenges our individualistic perspective. The second thing, the most, the thing he does more than anything else, other than discipleship, is heal the sick. And then I'm gonna put healing and deliverance together, which we'll talk about deliverance and the demoniacs and uh, casting out demons. But those are the, the, the manifestation of his ministry was more powerful than the third thing, which was teaching. So top three things of Jesus' life, if you're taking count, is discipleship, healing, and teaching. So, to, so healing ministry is a big deal. I wanna talk about some observations from the Gospel of Luke. We're in a series called Jesus According to the Gospel of Luke. And I wanna just make some statements about what Jesus did and offer you in a, a perspective of Jesus that should shape how we live as disciples. Does that make sense? Okay, that's cool. In case you forgot, I love verbal affirmation and feedback. It's cool. Thanks, friends. Thank you. I planted you in here. Luke chapter four, verse 38. It says this. This is shortly after Jesus preached that message that I just shared, and he almost gets killed. Um, remember the sermon that nearly killed Jesus? And then he goes to Capernaum and casts out a demon. And then verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. This is Peter. And I love this miracle. And I would like to suggest that it's not sickness that he heals, but a demon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from, that was a joke, from a high fever. You guys catch that? Just kidding. She's not podcasting. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So this is his first miracle in the Gospel of Luke. So he bent over and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and she began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were, had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each of them. On each, uh, each, on each one, he healed them. So he does the synagogue thing. It's a Sabbath, goes back. He's at his, uh, Simon's mother-in-law's house or he's at Simon's house and his mother-in-law's there who's sick. 
heals her of her uh, sickness. She had a fever, right? Like as far as healing ministry goes, raising the dead, fever leaving. That's pretty good, right? As far as the bar, would you say yes? Okay, heals her and then she just gets up and serves the community, um, participates in the hospitality that was required. Um, But I wanna just make this statement. So it begins, Jesus begins his ministry. He begins his ministry, he begins to demonstrate this proclamation of Isaiah 61 and Jubilee. It becomes manifested in his presence. But one observation I have about the ministry of Jesus, which I've already alluded to, is Jesus spends a lot of time healing people. Jesus will spend a lot of time healing people healing the sick in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, what you need to know about the writer, Luke is actually a doctor. So it's, it's fascinating that the doctor makes note of the, the, the implications of Jesus' ministry being one that brings about healing. Luke's Gospel, 20% of the Gospel of Luke is about healing. One out of five verses in the Gospel of Luke are about healing. Is that fascinating to you? 3,774 verses. Lord Jesus, you can read that. (laughs) I actually just read this study. I don't know what to do. Harvard study just came out. That PowerPoint presentations are ineffective. (laughs) And in fact, this is true, like it just came out, Harvard says that if you put words on the screen and at the same time read them out loud, people will be less likely to remember, they're less likely to remember what you said. This is a study, so all the energy we spend. (laughs) Simplify my life. Luke chapter five, Jesus spends a lot of time healing people, that's just what I wanna say about that verse. I love this story. So we're gonna just look at a couple more stories. I'm gonna make observations about his ministry. And then um, we'll keep going. While Jesus, verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said be clean and immediately the leprosy left him then Jesus ordered him don't tell anyone but go show yourself in the pre- to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them yet the news about him spread all the more so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places so there it is again Jesus heals a man with leprosy and then the crowd hears it, and so everyone comes, and it says that he healed them. People came to be healed by Jesus. <clears throat> Leprosy is a fascinating um, disease in the first century. There are 72 different types of skin disorders that are described in the Old Testament as leprosy, and if you read the Old Testament in Leviticus, leprosy was seen as a death sentence. We have rabbis that say um, lepers were seen as a living corpse. They were the walking dead, essentially, because of what the implications of leprosy had on a single person. You see, if you were marked or announced as a leper, you were announced unclean to the community. 
So unclean was significant. That meant all sorts of things. But leprosy in particular had some additional things attached. Lepre- uh, unclean meant you couldn't be around. You had to be isolated and alone from your community. You were no longer welcomed into fellowship. You couldn't eat with people. You couldn't, be, you couldn't live in your home. You couldn't touch your family members because then you would mark them as unclean ceremonially. Leprosy was filled with superstition. It was seen as a curse from God. So the paradigm that the men and women living with leprosy had was I am cursed by Yahweh. There was a built-in structure for lepers. So they're isolated, they're alone, they can't participate in uh, fellowship, they can't participate in worship, they couldn't bring sacrifices, they had to go through a process to, uh, and go to a temple where the priests would announce them clean if they no longer had the disorder, but it rarely happened. And a, a leper, if he had the audacity and courage to go back to the temple, he, would, he had to grow his hair long, he had to wear gross clothes so people could easily identify you as that person who's cursed by God. And as he walked into town, he would have to yell at the top of his lungs and stay away 50 paces from everyone else, unclean, unclean, covering your lip as you yell out the identity that you carry. Unclean, unclean. So this leper doesn't do that, right? This leper doesn't announce his, his condition. He sneaks up on the crowd. And this is why I love the narrative, it's a story. This is a story of a real person in real history that met Jesus in real time. And 2,000 years ago, this man's story is told because of what he did. He was desperate. He was so desperate, he broke the law. He didn't announce unclean. He, he rushed up on the crowd and fell before Jesus and begged because he was that desperate. And, 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 and Jesus, he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He has faith that Jesus can do what he hoped the priest can do, which eventually Jesus, after he does what he's about to do, says, go and give a testimony to the system. You see that? Like, go and do what's required according to the law, even though the law didn't heal you, grace healed you, incarnate. But as a testimony to the law, show them what I did. Oh, I love that. Like the place, the institution that's supposed to represent the mercy and grace and power of God is now just a system of ritual. And people will have to go outside of the systems designed for that in order to find what we're talking about, which is happening to the church, by the way. Do you know what I'm talking about? It might feel a little convicting because we've lost the power because the power of the Lord is no longer with us to do the things that Jesus did because we replaced it with programs, proficiency, popularity. And so the leper says, if you're willing, and I love it, I love this story because Jesus could just say, hey, all right, cool, get up, you're healed. Way way to go, brother. He could have spoke the word. Obviously, his words speak Life into creation, they create worlds. But he doesn't do that. He wants to be a marked man. He wants to be now, take on that uncleanliness in the system and actually pass on his cleanliness to the way of grace. So he reaches out his hand. He could have said the word, but he reaches out his hand and he touches him. Now he will forever be marked as an unclean person by the Pharisees and religious elites because of that act. He, he contradicts the rule in order to show the grace of God. Does that make sense? He's willing to step into the leprosy. 
You see, healing is also connected to compassion of God. The why is answered here. It's not just I want things to be just. It's that I want you to know the Father's love. And the kind of father that I'm revealing, Jesus is saying, is the kind of father who steps into the narrative that you are cursed. If God steps into the curse, what does that mean? God didn't curse him. Later on, Jesus will get on a tree and step into a curse and reverse it for the sake of salvation. Anyone who is hung on a tree is seen as cursed, according to the Old Testament. By tree, I mean in the cross. You with me? Yeah. At least someone is. Lord Jesus, thank you. Healing was the primary marker of the kingdom of God breaking in on earth as it is in heaven. According to the scriptures, this is not some pastoral agenda. This is not some podcast focus to get all these attentions and likes. This is the scripture reveals the primary marker of the kingdom of God, God's way of life coming in on earth as it is in heaven is healing. N.T. Wright says it this way, when Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of a future reality. This was reality itself. This is what it looked like when God was in charge. God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So we know that the ministry of Jesus is about restoration of creation according to his own statements Chapter four, Isaiah 61. It's about bringing God's way of life, his kingdom here and now, according to Mark and Luke and Matthew. Jesus healed the sick because God did not intend for his beloved creation to suffer. Can I say that again? God's desire is not for humans to suffer. That was not his intention of creation. Now, we have to fix some really bad theology for a moment. God's heart, God's way, God's, um, God is a father, revealed as a father whose love is extravagant. He created us to live in wholeness. He, what does that mean? He created us to not have sickness, to not have disease, to not have pain and suffering. That was the result of sin and rebellion. And when we chose to go our own way in chapter three of Genesis, it just got distorted. And as a result of that early decision, sin, destruction, disease, paralysis, all the things that we're gonna see Jesus work to mend are going to be replaced because God's design and desire and heart is for wholeness and healing and peace and shalom and everything working out for its good. His design is not for you to struggle with depression. That's not his will for you. Let me say that again. That is not his will for you. Now, can he use it for good? Yes. Will he use suffering as a mechanism of the fallen world to shape you into Christ-likeness? Is it his intention for you to suffer? No. Are we doing, we're doing really good, class. <laughs> so much of the pain out there is that people think God is causing this thing. He's weeping for that thing, that's his heart, and he's with you, where is he in the suffering? He's with you weeping tears. 
with the foresight knowing that there will be good, but that's, it doesn't matter about the future. He's present with you in the now, going, baby, I didn't wish this to happen to you. This is a long road, and it's been a very, very long road since Genesis 3, but I promise all the tears will be collected, and one day there will be no tears. This is the God of the scriptures, and the church doesn't reflect this. We have bad theology, and we just said your sin made you do it. Or we say this is his plan for your life. No, it's not. We know that it's not. We know that in every single occasion that Jesus is confronted with this opportunity, he reveals what his intentions are as a good and beautiful God and it's healing and it's wholeness and it's justice and it's forgiveness and it's inclusion and it's grace and it's grace and it's grace and it's love and it's all these things that we don't look like anymore because we don't give it to ourselves. How could, some of us will stand on a stage and preach this for others and never accept it for themselves. And that's the hardest thing. You can preach grace and then your whole life is trying to prove that you're worthy of it. Jesus didn't preach a message of transformation. He simply embodied it. And we see that, what we see in the scriptures is that wholeness comes through the presence of Jesus. Let me say that again, wholeness comes through the presence of Jesus, not through the programs of Jesus. Not through, and there's nothing against programs, and not through the popularity of Jesus, and there's nothing against becoming popular and having influence. Not for proficiency, there's nothing wrong with getting really good at things in the church, it's nothing wrong with that, we need it. We see that by Acts chapter six, there's a list for the widows. That means there's administration in the church. We always have this debate about spirit, being spiritual or strategic, and it's, they're both. My point is that we've replaced the presence with those things. Like in most of our experience in church, we don't know if the Holy Spirit's there. How horrible is that? We should just be waiting. When's he gonna show up today? Oh, he didn't come this Sunday. And everyone knows it. Like, it's okay, we'll do it again. And then he comes like the wind, and he blows in. And then all of a sudden you stand back and you can't sing the songs, you can't preach the sermon because the glory of the Lord fell and we're unmoved. We can't move because then we just sit there saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. That's what I want. I also want a church that's willing to say, we're gonna go for the healing. Even when we don't feel like it. Even when it's been a 999 no's to the healing. And then finally that one. And it was all worth it. We'll keep going though. Maybe you're not there. How much time do I have? That thing went away. We're gonna go until I'm ready. <laughs> Matthew chapter five, verse 17. So right after the leprosy, leprosy story, it says this, one day Jesus was teaching and then he makes this note, Luke, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So now he's getting so famous that they're sending spies. These are the real Christians of the church, right? You know, or these are the real religious leaders. 
the ones with the academic background, the ones that hold the, the keys to let people in and out of the group. They're on the boards. They're on the elders. They're, on the, they're the top, right? And they're the well-respected folks. And it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So he's teaching. The Pharisees are there. And Luke says, and there's something else going on. Remember, Jesus doesn't do anything without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So then this happens. So here he is doing church. Let's just say it's, in the, let's say it's like this. He's in this room and he's on stage and he's preaching. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. They came in. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. All right, this would have been a spectacle. Small house, it wasn't like this. But let's imagine this is packed. Let's imagine it's like when Francis Chan came and there's more people we know what to do with. Pre-service prayer, 820, people are, it's completely filled with a bunch of spectators that love Francis. That's what happened last year. So that's what happens. This place is packed. There's no room. Kids' rooms are shut down and you can't get in. There's people standing right here and somehow, some dude, this is so crazy, some friends of a paralyzed man drag him to Jesus. You gotta love what happens in this story. They, they, they are so desperate for their friend to experience the presence of Jesus that they carry him there. I want friends like that. Now, let me just, before we talk about what's about to happen, I wanna construct with you uh, a narrative of what could have been possible because this is a real story, a real person, a real human. The paralyzed man uh, would have been in that time, let's say he's born with it. We don't fully know. He was born with it born paralyzed. I want you to imagine his early memories as a young boy, sitting with his mom while his siblings run off to the local synagogue where they study, sitting with his mom as his, his brothers and sisters run out with their friends to play. And then when he gets old enough, being carried to the temple, being carried to the synagogue to sit outside to beg because you were a burden on your family. So the, just think of the psychology of what he would have experienced as a young boy who was born paralyzed. Just think of what it meant for him emotionally to understand the dynamic he lived in where he was seen as a burden by his parents and family. Think of the whispers he would have had in the one bedroom room that his whole family lived in as his parents fought at night whose fault it was because it was seen as a curse by God. If you, somebody had to have sinned to have a child born paralyzed, was it your family or mine? The mom and dad go, out at, go at it at night, arguing. And he carries that. He, weigh, he wears that type of shame on his life. And then the years go by. He goes to the temple, but he can't go into the temple as a man and offer sacrifices because he's paralyzed. And you are, as a paralyzed man, allowed into the court for the men or for the women. You had to stay with the Gentiles. Are, do you see what's going on? that he can't offer support. He will be with his mom and dad until he dies or his siblings are willing to take care of him. But somehow along the way, he had some friends. <clears throat> How many times did they try to bring him 
to some healer, some rabbi, some next thing. And how many times was he disappointed to be in the state that he was in? Do you think he just accepted it? Do you think he got to the point where that mat that he laid on his whole life had become his security? That was the secure, that was, that was the conditional place that he lived in. <clears throat> this is the safe space for me to be paralyzed because out there in that world, everyone looks at me and they see what I have felt my whole life. Not worthy, sinner. It's my fault I'm in this place. Why is it my fault, he might say to God. Why, what sin do I have? And his friends bring him in. And you know what happens? Exactly what he was afraid that would, what would happen. It's that it's too full so he can't see him. But his friends have the audacity to dig up the roof. And then once again, he's lowered in to the stairs that he's used to. A room full of people judging him because now he's interrupting the rabbi. That's not how the story ends. Now check this out. When Jesus saw whose faith? Not the paralyzed man. He saw the faith of his friends. Oh. Because even when you don't have it, there are people standing by. That's what the church is for. When you don't think it's going to come, you have friends standing next to you saying, it's going to come. Keep going. And then they, 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 they hold you up. They literally drag you to the, pl- to the presence of God when you don't feel like it. And if you don't have that kind of community, you need to pray for it and be that. Even when you don't feel like being that for the person that needs it, that's church. That would be enough for the world to be like, I'm in. For the next generation who's longing for connection to be there in their brokenness and not have a quick cliche or tweetable response, but actually presence and intimacy. It's so deep that you sit in there with them and then when it's time, you pick them up and say, no, we're going to church. (laughs) Now, he sees the faith of their friends and then he looks at him. And this is what has stuck with me. He looks at the man with paralysis. And he doesn't say what everyone is expecting him to say. Because God knows he could heal you physically, but the harder thing to heal is your heart and mind and emotions. He says to the man, this is your core wound. Your sins are forgiven. Why am I like this? Is it the sin? That's what he believed. This is my perspective, okay? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw right through him. He said, this is the thing that you need more than anything else. Your sins are forgiven. And for once, perhaps, somebody saw this man for who he really was. For once, maybe, in the midst of a crowd staring, he was actually seen for the first time in his entire life. Someone saw through the obvious pain and got right to his heart and said, the thing he's been wanting to hear, your sins are forgiven. I bet in that moment, he was just like, oh my gosh, God is real. This is God. 
in flesh. This is the thing I've needed to hear my whole life. And now Jesus has this little conversation. Check this out. Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the religious folks, this exciting moment of interruption happens and they don't see what just transpired. They do not have a perspective to see God moving in their midst because it operates outside of their religious box. And later on, as Jesus comes into the Jerusalem, he will say out loud, you, Jerusalem, you have missed the visitation of the Lord as a curse. They missed it. They missed what God is doing in their midst because of their rules and regulations, because of their tradition, because of their systems and programs and proficiency. And Jesus says, why are you thinking these thoughts? I love it. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? which is easier to say. And check this out, he says this. He gives them this rabbinic kind of uh, pun, like this rabbinic way of arguing. It's called the light and heavy. If the heavier thing is true, then the lighter thing is true as well. Okay, that's what it means. So what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to a paralyzed man, get up and walk. Now, I know this is tricky, but what would be easier to say? Do you know? Get up. Do you think it would be easier to say to get, uh, a paralyzed man, get up and walk? No, that's the heavy. It's, if it's harder, because what happens if you say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk? What, what are you expecting next? They're gonna walk. How many of you have faith to say that? But something like, hey, your sins are forgiven, that's a lot easier, right? It's easier to say that it's, it's lighter. Sorry, I might have confused you. The lighter thing is this, and the heavier thing is true as well. And he says to them, so it's harder to say this thing, get up and walk. It's lighter to say your sins are forgiven. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, the lighter thing. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And the man, immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and, um, and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and sa uh, said, we have seen remarkable things today. So the story goes, if the harder thing to say to a paralyzed man is true, then the lighter thing is true as well. The harder thing to say is get up and walk. That means you also know that the son of man, Jesus has the authority to forgive sins on earth. Catch it? Now you understand. Which one's harder to say? Thank you for, get up and walk. It's easier to say for, your, your sins are forgiven, but in their paradigm, the religious mindset is only God can forgive sins. <gasps> what does that mean about him? Good, yes, good. Stand up, let's give each other a call. <laughs> Now, like this is one and a half pages of notes. No, it's actually one and a quarter. I have five pages, so I clearly don't have time to preach what I wanna preach today. So I'm gonna end, uh, I'm gonna say a couple more things off, off the cuff and then we'll just end. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna make an observation about Jesus. 
And this was by far the most profound for me today, this week, and it wrecked my whole week. Nearly all the healing stories that take place in the Gospels were interruptions to what Jesus was doing in the moment. Nearly all the healing ministries that are recorded in all four Gospels are interruptions to what Jesus was doing in that moment. Brothers and sisters, this is profound. I mean, the observation is Jesus was interruptible. But think, think about what would happen if somebody interrupted us right now because their friends were like, I heard that this is the church that prays for healing. We came from Riverside and we're here because this is where the presence of God is moving and the power of the Lord is with you to heal the sick. This is the place. We've come, sorry to interrupt this service. Sorry that the communion hasn't been taken and the box, the, bu the buckets, whatever you guys use to pass here, the popcorn boxes or whatever, they're gone and you're in the middle of your sermon and Jesus doesn't say I was in my third point with my PowerPoint presentation. Here are 17 things you need to know. That's not what he does. He says, he sees him, he stops what he was doing because this is what God would have him do and he knew the power of the Lord was with him. He was looking for the opportunity and he says, you, my, my son, my friend, your sins are forgiven. He has this dialogue, immediately, inner healing, done. His world, his view of God, spiritual healing, done. The thing that was keeping him grounded to that mat, the thing that would allow him for once to grab the mat and walk, wasn't just the word of being healed, it was the inner healing that this doesn't have to define your life anymore. This doesn't have to define your life anymore. Sometimes we get physically healed but we still are spiritually, emotionally, mentally broken because we've agreed to that identity and we need to break that apart. It's like when blind Bartimaeus takes off his beggar robe, robe excuse me, takes off the beggar robe, walks to Jesus and says, what do, you want me to do? what do you want me to do? And he says, I wanna see. He has to take off the robe to go to Jesus because he knows when he, he confronts the Son of God, he gets power in his presence to see again. But he has something to do in order to get there. He has to let go of one identity to accept his new identity. All, Jesus, the healing ministry, was a byproduct of Jesus' presence. So I just went through the Gospel of Luke and just read through it. And all, there were over 18 um, interruptions in the Gospel of Luke alone. I mean, it, the demon-possessed man in the synagogue, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, mother um, the leper, the paralyzed man. He's interrupted at a Pharisee's house when this woman comes and offers this, this great sacrifice of, uh, of oil to him. The centurion servant, there's, he stops when he's going uh, by a, a widow's son in a funeral. He walks, he, uh, he, a woman washes his feet. He gets interrupted from a nap. I love this one. He's sleeping, and it gets interrupted from sleep, which that alone is the worst. <laughs> and he's so furious, he calms the storm. That's a, that's a miracle that takes place out of interruption. There's so many. I'm not going to list all of them. They're fascinating. Just go in and find them. One of my favorites is at the very end. He gets interrupted from being arrested. They're literally handcuffing Jesus. They're interrupting him. And his disciple pulls out a sword and chops off the guard's ear. And it's like, he's like, seriously, Peter? And he puts the ear and he heals the guy's ear. 
He's like, all right, go ahead. Let's do this. Jesus stops for the one. He had compassion on crowds and he had compassion on individuals. He'll meet individuals where they're at. I love this. He meets us in our pain. That's what this says. What does this mean about the real Jesus? He doesn't wait for you to get your act together. He doesn't wait for you to not be broken. He doesn't wait for you to stop sinning. He doesn't wait for you to break the addiction. He comes into the addiction and touches you. He comes into the brokenness and he touches you. He comes into the affair and heals reconciliation. He goes into the places we don't think God is allowed, especially if we're religious. And he says, that's where wholeness comes. I've come for the sick not for the well. He speaks to us in our places of of vulnerability and wounds and brokenness and he, he wants to go there. He wants to speak to our childhood traumas and narratives and bring freedom. Son, your sins are forgiven. He wants to heal your bodies and he wants to heal your hearts. He wants to heal your toxic emotions. He wants to heal your minds because Jesus heals. And why does he heal? Because he loves you. It's that simple, but yet it's so hard in religious life to actually just believe it. That he can't help but love you into wholeness. He can't help but be interrupted because he sees this as his child who needs unconditional love. All of the manifestations of healing that take place are simply a revelation of God's love for his creation that Jesus is willing, that Jesus stops for the one, that Jesus cares about the suffering because he cares about your suffering. And so he will be interrupted over and over again because he likes you and he loves you. And there's no good place to end because there's literally four other pages of notes. (laughs) So I'm just gonna end. I'll end with a quote at the very end. Pat, you're doing lyrics at the very end. Thank you, Pat. In themselves, speaking of healing and signs and wonders and and, and gifts, in themselves, they prove nothing anyway. His healing acts are expressions of divine mercy to be revealed in faith, received in faith. Faith to be healthy means being open to God's love. Faith to pray for the sick means openness to being a vessel of that love. I had literally so many good arguments for why we should believe in healing. I had, so, I had all this great stuff, but I got overtaken by the stories of the Bible. So with that, I'll just say, brothers and sisters, be open to God's love and be open to being a vessel of God's love wherever you go. If you want the context of Jesus, a content of Jesus' ministry, power and healing, you have to apply it to its context. And the context of Jesus' healing ministry is as he went along in his everyday life. There is no service for healing in the church. The healing ministry exists wherever you are, as you are. It's designed to be released through the ordinary followers of Jesus. Make it ordinary again, God. That as you go, pray for healing. If you don't know how to pray, Jesus, heal him. Like Jesus' prayers were so short. Get up and walk. Go. See. Like, that is it. I mean, the longest one, I think, is get up and walk. Like, that is the longest healing moment in the scriptures. So, brothers and sisters, go for it. 
Go for it, but also be open to it. I want healing in my life. I want healing for my family, and I want healing to take place here. So let's, God, would you just make healing ordinary again? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.